Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, have you noticed how farmy and foody this church is? Anyone? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Never have I ever been in a church community that so willingly and regularly talks about food. The food that they're growing, the ways they're preserving that food, uh, the various recipes that they're trying out and trying to get other people to try out, as well as the animals they're raising, and then butchering, and then calmly discussing it in all detail as they walk through a potluck line. <laughs> I vividly remember at a recent potluck a discussion about butchering rabbits as people were dishing up food, and I thought to myself, friends, this is unique. I'm not sure if you realize this, but that is not the conversation happening around the potluck line at the city churches. Are you aware of this? <laughs> we are very grateful to be part of an agricultural valley, right? An abundant orchard valley, uh, farming-oriented valley, aren't we? You throw a seed out the window here, and it just grows better than it grew at your garden in Calgary or the north, frankly, almost anywhere else, it grows. And food security and, and food sustainability and food enjoyment, it's all part of our life here in the Creston Valley. And for some of us, it's why you moved here, right? Yeah. But is good food all we need to flourish? Well, we know that's not true, right? As necessary and as significant as good food is, it's not enough to truly sustain us as a people. It's certainly not enough to sustain us as a community of Jesus, as image bearers of God or as followers of the Messiah. We need more than just good food. And today we're going to see just that. We're continuing our masterclass in Luke where we're learning how to implement the example and the teaching of Jesus into our lives as his kingdom apprentices. And we use that word intentionally because we want to think of ourselves as apprentices who are learning this kingdom trade, who are putting to practice the things that Jesus is teaching us. We're in Luke chapter 4 today. If you have a Bible, please turn to it. Look it up on your phone. The YouVersion app is great. But get a Bible or bring a Bible. And if you need help with that, let me know. We're in the gospel of Luke, which is the third book of the New Testament. It's also the third of four Gospels. Each of the Gospels tell us a story of Jesus, a story of his life, ministry, how he healed people, proclaimed the kingdom, but also how he was crucified and then rose again. Well, the author of Luke is a guy named Luke, who was a non-Jewish doctor and a traveling partner of the great Apostle Paul. And he carefully researched the story of Jesus. He used Matthew and he used Mark in particular, but he also collected other stories and he worked it through. And his whole goal was that followers of Jesus would be more solid or more certain in their faith, in their following 
of Jesus, which makes Luke a great masterclass for us as apprentices who want to know more about Jesus and follow him. Well, we're in chapter four, so we're early in the story. Jesus has just emerged onto the scene. He's about 30 years old. He's newly baptized by John. And Jesus has been led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness for a time of great testing. We started there last week. He's been fasting from food for 40 days, and he's now going to prove himself faithful in the wilderness, overcoming what humans have always failed to overcome. Through three temptations, we're going to witness our master Jesus overcoming for us, and we're going to learn from our master how we can overcome trials when the Spirit leads us into them as well. Let me just pray for us as we continue. Lord Jesus, lead us now. May we be ready to receive and respond to you today, looking at your example and then putting that into practice in our lives. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You know, when we remember that Jesus went through this wilderness testing time all alone, that he really was out there by himself, there's other times in scripture when it says he's by himself, but then you realize that there's other people around. This time, really by himself out there. When we realize that, well, then we realize that there was a moment when Jesus sat his disciples down and told them this story in detail, describing what happened to him when he was out there in the wilderness and how he was tempted. I say that because we then can ask the question, why would Jesus have told his disciples this story? What did he want his apprentices to know? What does he want us to know from this story? Because through this temptation story, Jesus is teaching us and he's leading us as his apprentices. First, he wants us to know how he overcame these trials for us. But then, how we might overcome trials in him now. And today, in this very first trial of Jesus, which has something to do with food, which isn't surprising considering 40 days without food, we're going to witness a powerful temptation to be self-sufficient. Where Jesus is tempted to be self-sufficient, to rely on his own power to provide what he needed. We're going to be challenged in our self-sufficiency those moments when we want to rely upon our own power to provide for ourselves what we think we need. So here in chapter four, we read, start, I'll start with verse one again, just so we catch the whole, the larger context. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days and at the end of them, he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. As the story rolls out, of course, the devil's going to try to trip Jesus up three times, and we're going to take each of those in turn. Today, we're just examining this first temptation. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Let's just make a few notes so we can get help see what's going on here. The first one is, you notice how the devil attempts to use Jesus' identity to manipulate him. You see that? Remember, Jesus had just received this enormously huge affirmation at his baptism. 
where the heavens open and the Holy Spirit descends bodily in the form of a dove and the Father speaks from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is powerful stuff, right? This is amazing. This is ringing in his ears and now Jesus goes into the wilderness knowing that he is his father's son, knowing that he is the anointed Messiah. And the devil actually takes that revealed truth about Jesus, this very affirmation of his father, and he tries to use it to manipulate Jesus. If you are the son of God, can actually be taken either as a statement or a question. If it was a question, it'd be something like, if you are, you know, like prove it, you know, pr- prove that you are that kind of state. Prove that you have divine power. Prove that you're the son of God. If it's a statement like, since you are the son of God, it's more like, hey, buddy, now that you're the son of God, why don't you use your identity to do something good for yourself, to meet your own needs? You're hungry, aren't you? Well, hey, here's a solution. Whether it's an if in the form of a question or a if in the form of a statement, they both lead to the same point. That as the son of God, he's being challenged. He's being tempted to do something with his power to meet his own need. Which leads us to the second point we want to note. And that is that the devil challenges Jesus to use his words to perform a miracle of provision. Did you see that? He says, tell this stone. I don't know if he's pointing at some stone. He's pointing at a stone that kind of looks, you know, 40 days without eating, right? Maybe that stone's starting to look like a bit of a brown loaf of bread. Things are looking good. And so maybe that's what the devil points at. Tell this stone to become bread. You've got the power as the son of God. You're hungry. Use the power you have through your spoken word to serve your personal needs. Now, this might not jump out to you right here, but it, it makes more sense as we continue to go in Jesus' response. I simply want you to see how the devil's trying to get Jesus, based upon his identity, to use his word to provide for himself what he needs. The third note of course, is that Jesus responds to the devil's challenge by appealing to the word of God and then quoting from it. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Now here, Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy chapter eight. We read that passage last week because it's so central to the story that's happening here. And Jesus, his response in in this story helps us it's really set within Deuteronomy 8. So I want you to hear a little more of that passage again. In Deuteronomy uh, 8, just the first couple verses of verse 2 and 3, we we remember, it says, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years. This is Moses speaking to the second generation that had come out of Egypt and rescued out of Egypt and the mom and the dad had rejected God's ways, had been unfaithful, and they all died in the wilderness. This is their kids now going into the land that God has promised them. And Moses saying, come on, people, remember what matters. So remember how the Lord God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth 
of the Lord. That's Deuteronomy 8, 2 and 3. This whole 40-day wilderness business is a way that Jesus relives symbolically the wilderness wanderings of God's people when they first came out of Egypt. And at the very point at which God's people consistently failed, when they were hungry, usually, sometimes thirsty, exhausted, at that very point where they failed, Jesus does not fail, did not fail. And this is crucial, that at this moment, Jesus knows where his true sustenance comes from. He does not fail. Because you see, this Deuteronomy passage that Jesus is quoting from is set within an even larger context. And he's urging, Moses is urging, of course, as I've already said, uh, God's people to stay faithful. But in particular, after they've settled in the land that he's promised to them when they're well-fed and content. The concern is that they'll still be faithful, that they'll remember how they've been sustained in the wilderness so that after they were into a land much like the Creston Valley, rich and fertile and abundant, they wouldn't forget. And so I want to read a little bit more from Deuteronomy 8 and see if you can pick up the connection to this first temptation of Jesus to use his power to feed himself. So I'm reading from Deuteronomy 8, verse 10. Let me read a few verses from here. When you have eaten and are satisfied, referring to when they've gotten to the land, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws, and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large, and your silver and gold increase, and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He led you to the vast and dreadful wilderness, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the wilderness, something your ancestors had never known, to humble and test you so that in the end it might go well with you. You may say to yourself, My power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. Did you get that? I know there's a lot in there, but listen, the temptation the people of God faced is that they would forget what it meant to be dependent on God when they were fat and full, right? When things were good, they would forget. It's pretty common historically too. They would think suddenly, and I quote, my power, the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Well, isn't that exactly what the devil is trying to get Jesus to do here? He's trying to say, your provision is fully within your power. You provide for yourself. You don't need to wait for God to act. Take a shortcut. You're hungry? Here's a stone. Make it into bread. Use your power, the strength that God has given you, your divine identity to produce provision for yourself. Now, Jesus rejects the devil's temptation here, not only because Jesus knows better than to listen to the voice of that character. He's not going to do that. He probably remembers another story when someone should not have listened to somebody telling them to eat something. 
You remember that one? Yeah. But Jesus also refuses the devil's temptation here because he rejects the premise altogether. And that is that as God's son, he is to now use his identity to provide for himself, that he is to use his word to sustain himself rather than relying upon God's word to sustain him, which is why Jesus responds, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Jesus combats the devil's temptation with the word of God, in this case, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Jesus doesn't wax eloquent. He doesn't engage in conversation with the devil. He doesn't use, get this, he doesn't use his own words. He simply speaks the truth of God's powerful word as a means of shutting down the devil's manipulation. This is so, so significant. Please don't miss this because it has great implications for us. Jesus, the anointed Messiah, The son of God doesn't use his own words to combat the devil, but relies completely upon the word of his father. And I think as apprentices of Jesus, we have to take note of that. Well, let me pause for a moment. And those are a few notes I want you to hear on just kind of a little bit what's going on there before we move to how we apply it to our lives. But are there any clarifying questions that you might have about this story? Anything that's weird for you or things you want to ask? Uh, You know, I thought of, there's just so many different ways we can go with this story, but I thought I'd throw it out for a few clarifying questions. Do you have any? If you make them fairly brief, I'll repeat them for the camera so everyone can hear. Do we know what form the devil was in? Nope. We don't. Yeah. Anyone else? Clarifying question. Say it again, Cameron. Oh, yes. We're told he moves on beyond the Jordan. So where John was baptizing um, was beyond the Jordan. And then it's like Jesus went further out from there. Yeah. To the east. Any other questions or clarifying things? All right. You might want to ask them at your small group too. Get a little deeper there. Well, what do we learn from our master Jesus in this experience that we can implement into our lives? Our point as apprentices is to ask the question, what am I supposed to do with this? How do I put this into practice, right? It's not just to think certain things or have, you know, bigger brains. It's about putting into practice the teaching and example of Jesus. And it's really clear that here, from this first temptation, that you and I as apprentices of Jesus need God's word in order to flourish. Pure and simple. When we read this story, we've got to hear that. And so as apprentices of Jesus, we hear these couple of verses and we confess with Jesus that we do not live by bread alone. We confess that. We speak that out loud. Even if we're not sure yet what that means exactly, we confess with Jesus that we don't live only by the food that we eat. Food which is a gift from God and we are thankful for it. But it's not all we need to flourish. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at this moment 
And we see that if he confessed this, if this is how he lived, if at the very moment when he was hungriest, when he was the most exhausted, when he was the most strained, at that very moment, he knew that he was utterly dependent upon his father's word. If that was true of him, how much more true is it for us? And so we hear the story and the conviction comes like, oh, wow, I need to confess this. I do not live only by the food on my table, the food in my fridge. What's interesting here about Luke's telling is how he reports. How many of you were surprised that Jesus gave such a short quote here? Anyone? Be honest. Because most of you wanted to finish the quote of Jesus, right? Because you've heard the temptation story. If you've heard the temptation story, you've heard it from Matthew where Jesus says what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God or comes from the mouth of God, right? Because in Matthew, it's the whole, Jesus gives the, the whole quote in that sense. But in Luke, he doesn't. Jesus just says, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, period, end quote. Why would Luke do that? Why would Luke, you know, skip the best part? Isn't that the kind of the punchline? Don't you hate it when someone tells a joke and doesn't finish it? So why does he leave it hanging here? Why only quote the beginning, but then leave it open-ended? Well, I can't confess to fully know why, but here's what I think. By not concluding the statement, Luke makes us ask the question. Well, if we don't live by bread alone, what do we live by? And there's a bit of self-reflection that can come from that question, isn't there? Where we step back and ask, what do I think I need to live? What is it that I think sustains me? What do I think I need versus what do I truly need? By quoting only that first little bit, we can stop ourselves and ask the question, what sustains me? Now, the biblical authors, when they quote stuff like this, or we see Jesus quoting something like this, they expect us to hear the larger passage. This is true across the board. And so it's always great, little side tip, when you're reading along and there's a quote that is given from a prophet or from uh, the Torah or whatever, from the Old Testament, to go, oh, I wonder where that comes from, and dig back into it. Because very often, the whole passage around that quote is being evoked by the biblical author, by the person who is speaking it. So it's always good to go back and read the larger context. And so here, even here, that passage of Deuteronomy 8, which we've read a bit from, 
were intended to hear that. The readers of this story uh, would know that, or they would have heard that, or they would have said, does anybody have the scroll of Deuteronomy? And, and they would have been able to dig back. We flip in our phones or back in our, our Bibles, and we're intended to read the larger story. He expected that. So it's not like, it's not like Luke is holding out on us. He's expecting us to ask the question, well, what did Jesus live by? What did he think he was living by? By shortening the quote, Jesus is making us take a little more stock of the temptation itself, but he's not leaving us hanging. He wants us to hear it all. By shortening the quote, though, more of the emphasis falls on the contrast between the if you are, then tell. If you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Use your word to create food rather than when we hear the whole passage of Deuteronomy, rather than relying upon God's word as food. And I find that personally very challenging. Do you? I mean, what he's saying here is this, instead of using our words to provide for us what we think we need, we're going to rely on God's word to provide for us what God knows we need. I'm going to say that again. Instead of using our words to provide for us what we think we need, We're going to rely on God's word to provide for us what God knows we need. And this flies full in the face of our cultural self-sufficiency, our individualism. When we see Jesus submit to his father's provision in his father's timing, in his father's way, even though he's been 40 days without food and he's hungry, Jesus is saying, I am not my own provider. I am not self-sufficient. Jesus is saying, I'm not self-sufficient. Did I mention it was Jesus who's saying this? <laughs> uh, I, I find that incredibly challenging. Do you? And it's not passivity and laziness. This is an active, engaged trust in his Father's word. That he's feeding on God's word and letting the Father feed him. That Jesus was being sustained actively by the very word of God. I know we can be challenged by this because there's part of us that thinks, I don't think God's word really can sustain me. There's things I need. And beyond food, there's things I need in life. And I don't think God's word, frankly, is up to the task. And yet we look at Jesus and his life and he thought it was. Jesus reveals how his identity as the son of God, rather than being something in which he could sort of evoke for his own good or his own provision, rather than that, his identity is one that is completely dependent upon his father's word for his life, for his provision. His identity has been shaped by the father's word, this is my son whom I love, you know, with, with him I'm well pleased. The father's word has shaped his identity. And now the father's word will continue to form him and feed him, pure and simple. It leads us to a very practical point. As Jesus apprentices, we need to follow the example of Jesus here. Jesus who was faithful for us and didn't fail where we have failed, but lived not only by the food he was given. Of course, when he came out of the wilderness, he continued to eat food. Humans need food. We know that. But he recognized that the ultimate thing, the thing that we need, the thing that without we will perish is the very word of God. 
And so, to the point, what for us as apprentices of Jesus might be a concrete practice that we could walk away from this story with? What is a way that we could implement the example of Jesus? I've heard many messages, and I'm sure you have too, on these temptation stories. And I am continually shocked, in a good way, by the insights that people have from these temptations. I'm amazed. Like, this is a deep well. There's a lot of stuff here that can challenge us and move us and, and evoke and, 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 and convict in, in these temptation stories. It's amazing. The Holy Spirit can take it and really drive it deep. But often, we miss out a pretty obvious implication, a pretty obvious practice, a practice that is so front and center in the story that we walk right past it and didn't realize it was there. I'm talking about the practice of memorizing scripture. Did you see that coming? How many of you are going, I knew that was coming. Anyone? I I, I won't ask for a show of hands. But Jesus memorized the Bible. Do we know that? Did we realize? Hands up. Jesus memorized scripture. Yes, he did. Clearly. Every follower of Jesus, without exception, needs to be memorizing Scripture on a regular basis. And I mean every single one, without exception. Some of you are trying to let yourself off the hook right now. You're thinking, I'm not talking about you because your hair is gray and you can't remember things anymore. I am talking to you. Some of you are thinking, oh, I know, I'm busy right now. I don't have time for this. I'm talking to you. I mean, if you are able to say today, I am a follower of Jesus, memorizing scripture needs to be part of your life, without exception. If you've been around here long enough, you know how rarely you hear me say something that unqualified. But Jesus, this is clearly part of his life. When he said, man shall not live on bread alone, and then in Matthew finished the quote by saying, but every word that, you know, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God or comes from the mouth of God, he wasn't just picking a couple of favorite verses. This was Jesus showing us that he was living in the scripture, that he was, he was in it so much that he had actually committed it to memory so that when he needed it, when faced by, like, with the trial that he was faced, he could just pull it out. And answer it. He didn't have to use his own word because he had the Father's word to use. You get what I'm saying? Now, let's just try it a little bit this morning. Let's try a memory verse. Are you ready for this? Repeat after me. Jesus answered. It is written. Man shall not live on bread alone. Can you try it again? Jesus answered. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone. Okay, do, do it now without me. You guys are geniuses. You memorized a scripture verse so fast. <laughs> now, we may not know all the ins and outs of how the word of God sustains us. We could go on and on and on. But we could go on and on and on and then not implement the most obvious thing of all, which is 
that we need to actively be putting God's word into our hearts and lives and minds by actually memorizing it. Actually being able to say the word of scripture out of our mouths as though it's our own word when it's not. It's the Father's word. It's the teaching of Jesus, the word of Jesus. Now, we spent a lot of time a few weeks ago looking at the quadrants of Jesus' life and how he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and favor with people, right? And in the first quadrant of growing in wisdom, we talked about the need for each one of us as apprentices of Jesus to ask ourselves, how do I get more involved in Scripture? That's critical. That's how Jesus grew in wisdom. That's how we grow in wisdom. We got to get more immersed in Scripture from wherever we are. If you've never read the Bible before, I'm just glad you're here. Let's get you started. If you've been reading the Bible lots or if you've fallen off the reading wagon or whatever, okay, whatever, wherever you are, it's fine. Let's ask what the next step is. So each one of us asks, how do we immerse ourselves more in Scripture? For today, I just want to say memorizing is a critical, key, central way that we can do that. Why would you memorize Scripture? I am trying to watch the time here. Why would we memorize scripture? Yeah, shout out, shout out a few things. Why would we memorize scripture? Give me, give me help here. Give each other help. Why would we do this? What's some of the benefits of memorizing scripture? Because you won't always have a Bible. Yeah. Comfort. Comfort. Gives you strength. As you memorize it, it becomes more part of who you are. That's excellent, Kevin. Yes. So as you read, you remember something you memorized already before. The interconnectedness thing really starts to happen. Yeah, what else? Why do you memorize scripture? Pardon? In prayer. Excellent. And it helps you pray. That's right. What else? Say again. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You're quoting scripture. Gold star, Ryan. Um, Yes, and then as we put that in our heart, then we're speaking out of that, right? Beautiful. Why else? It's one of the ways the Holy Spirit renews our minds. We, We receive a lot of information in a day, don't we? That is not at all aligned with the ways and the word and the wisdom of God. And so we need truth that will combat the lie or the false perspectives that we are surrounded with. Advertising alone swamps us. We need truth, right? Why, why else would we memorize? Yeah, when you're speaking to somebody, you're able to quote a verse. You're able to share with them the very words of God. Yeah, well, sometimes they don't even realize it. You know, maybe you're not chapter and verse in it, but, but it's there. It's, it's your words, that's right. But it's his words being spoken through you. Hey, this is great. So keep that alive. Um, there are beautiful ways that the scripture makes us more in line, forms our hearts and minds as we commit it to memory. And so what I did today is I have created some handouts for you, some homework. And next week to get in the building, you, and no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am just kidding. Can I have those, uh, the two ushers who collected plates uh, actually pass these out. So what I have here is the ECC Scripture Member Starter Set. <laughs> Some of you I know, you're old Scripture reader, you're Scripture memorizers from way back. Don't be smug, just memorize more. A lot of us haven't done this. Or we did it back in high school or at camp or something, university. 
But it's been a long time since scripture memory has been part of our daily practice. I would dare say for most of us, it's not been part of our daily practice. And so I'm encouraging you to get back on and add this to your daily practice. It does not take much time at all. It does take a choice on your part, but it doesn't take a lot of time. In my morning routine of reading scripture and journaling, I also have a little coil ring binder. And I'm writing down passages that I want to memorize, and I'm working on them every day. It's in my, like I said, it's in my morning routine. So right after I do a certain reading, I pick up my coil ring binder, and I go through the scriptures that I've identified currently from the Gospel of Luke and from the Psalms, primarily, that I'm memorizing as part of my daily routine. And by simply reviewing the ones I've already learned and then adding to them as the Holy Spirit strikes me as I'm reading along, I'm growing and memorizing Scripture. And most importantly, it's being put into my heart and mind and so that I'm thinking of it during the day and I'm being reminded of it. Or it's, 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 it, I, I've been able to meditate on the Scripture while I've been running. or Just all throughout the day, there's ways in which the Holy Spirit has been using His Word to provoke me, to challenge me, to encourage me. And so I've identified 10 verses, 10 passages. Some of them have a couple of verses. 10 passages that I want to challenge you to memorize over the next 10 weeks. Take a passage per week. It's really quite simple. I've given you some tips at the bottom for memorization. Those of you who are online, I'm going to send this out this afternoon on our email list. Now, if you're not on the email list, please get on the email list like before four o'clock today if you want to get it. And, uh, cause I want to, I'm going to email it out to the email list. And so you'll have it too. Okay. Um, and so I've identified some key scriptures. Now I asked Tennille, who's like an old memorizing wizard. She remembered like 400 verses when she was in Africa. I know she was 12 and we all think 12 year olds can memorize better than we can, but actually it's just because they do it more. Um, anyway, I asked her, what are your top 10 verses? And they were different than my top 10. So then I changed it from top 10 to just 10 great passages. Because <laughs> seriously, is there really a top 10? Anyway, so here's the verse. Now, some of you think, oh, I already have John 3, 16, 17 memorized. Great, cross it out and add another one. It doesn't matter. But the point is, for the next 10 weeks, memorize a passage every week. I encourage you to find a single translation to do it in. Don't mix it up. That's just asking yourself to be more confused than you need to be. The NIV is great um, for that. I, I encourage you to print out the passage. I write it out by hand in this coral ring binder. Um, fairly legibly, I might add. Sometimes I use cursive, sometimes I print, you know, however the Spirit leads. But I write it out in this coral ring binder and then I'm able to review it. I also have it on my phone, like in a, in a note on my phone. The key is to take a passage and read it over a few times every day. Put it where you can see it. Read it over, read it over, read it over, read it over. Do that for the first few days. No problem. You don't have to think about memorizing it. Just read it over. Read it over, read it over, read it over. And then by about day two or three, you start averting your eyes as you read it. I'm not, I'm not kidding. I'm giving you a strategy here. You just avert your eyes as you're reading. You read and avert your eyes. Read and avert your eyes. Pretty soon, guess what? You don't need to look at it anymore. And you've got it memorized. I encourage you to ask a friend to join you. Do a little challenge with each other. Say, hey, I want to remember. Just talk to your spiritual friend. Talk to someone in your small group. Hit someone up on the street. I don't care. Ask a friend to join you. And they say, I want to memorize this. I want to put God's word in my heart. Would you join me? And you'd be a great, like, workout partner together. 
Repetition is, of course, key. Keep repeating it. And then as it's solidified in your mind and heart and you've got this thing memorized, you've got a passage, you don't need to review it every single day, but you do want to have a way of coming back to it, maybe weekly, maybe every few days, of just reviewing what you've already memorized and you will keep it sharp. And by the end of 2023, if you continued uh, memorizing a passage a week, you would have 42 passages memorized. I counted. Actually, I had a list of 42 for you, but... Neil talked me down from that ledge, and I'm only giving you 10. (laughs) So, is that enough of a challenge for you? We want to put God's word into our lives. We want to flourish. I don't know all the reasons why it is that we are able to be sustained by the word of God, but I promise you it's true. And if you will look at the example and teaching of Jesus and say, Jesus, if it's good enough for you, it's good enough for me. In fact, Jesus, if you needed it, how much more do I need it? Can we all say amen to that? And so can we walk together as a community and say, let's commit God's word to memory. Let's put it in our hearts and minds. Let's be the kind of community that is standing up to the pressures or the manipulation, to the trials and the suffering and the struggles. And we're able to speak into those areas in our own lives and into the lives of others, not with our own eloquence, not with our own ideas, but actually the truth of God's word. Because at the end of the day, as good as the food in this valley is, and it is good, thank you, Jesus, it's not enough. It's not enough. We have access to the word of God. What a privilege. So to put it into our hearts and minds and know that we are not living by bread or fruit alone, but we live by the very word of God gifted to us, sustaining us. And if we will simply put that into practice, friends, we'll grow. We'll grow. I invite the worship team to come lead us in a final song as I pray for you. Lord Jesus, we want to simply implement your life and example into our lives. We recognize that there are so many things, even in this passage, that we were not able to uncover today. But if we're able to put into practice what you did, What a change that can make. And so today I ask for each one of us that we'd be able to commit to a practice, a habitual practice, a routine in our lives of putting your word into our hearts and minds and experiencing more and more of what it means to be sustained by your word. May we as a congregation grow in that. For those of us today who maybe are new to faith, or perhaps are exploring faith and aren't sure about this whole Jesus business, I just ask, Lord, that you would encourage them now to perhaps take a next step and learn more about who Jesus is, but maybe even memorize a verse or two and find out what that might do for them too. Thanks, Jesus, for leading us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.